Last week we looked at giving and we were not to broadcast what we were giving. That was in verses 1 and 2. And then Jesus says, give privately. That's the best way to do it. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And uh, so we need to be careful about what we give and how we give it. And just be careful about it. I think the real issue here is that um, the real issue is not putting the spotlight on yourself. Jesus is going to follow this up today by talking about prayer. And you know, I, I thought about prayer all week. And I said, I'm going to come up with a definition of prayer. And I, I did like 15 or 16 rewrites all week. Um, started out with a rather lengthy one. And then I said, okay, what is prayer? And so this is what I came up with. Prayer is a personal dialogue with God. That's really what prosukomai means, and we'll look at that word in just a little bit. But prayer is basically a dialogue with God. It is talking to God. And, and, and Jesus here, before we get to the Lord's Prayer, which is coming uh, the next time that we get together, um, Jesus wants to set the table on the Lord's Prayer, so to speak, before he gives them a model prayer. And you know me, I preach in sentences. So the first part of the sentence is, prayer is not a spectacle. Prayer is not a spectacle, and he begins with Judaism. He says, and when you pray, so there is this idea that the believer, the follower of Christ, is going to pray. That's, that, that shouldn't even enter into your mind that there's coming a day when you're following Christ that you're not praying. Disciples pray. So he says, when you pray, prosukamai, which simply means to talk to God. It could be when you're driving in your car. Please do not drive in the car with your head bowed and your eyes shut because that could be problematic. You could get into an accident. Your insurance rates go up. You can talk to God in the car while you're driving. Your eyes do not have to be closed. Your head does not have to be bowed. You can talk to God. He said, so when you pray, so it's not a question. Should not be a question. We're supposed to pray. But then he gives this warning. Immediately following when you pray, he says, you must not be like the hypocrites. Okay. Now, in the context of Judaism, he is attacking the Jewish culture. He'll attack the Gentile culture in just a minute. But he says, you must not be like the hypocrites. Hupokrites. We looked at that last week, and it means one who acts as if he is on a stage. It is not a genuine prayer. They may think that they're praying, but it's not genuine because it's merely acting. When I was in Bible college years ago, and, and I do mean years ago, <laughs> Dr. Vaughn, my, my New Testament professor, I had him for both, uh, both New Testament periods. And Dr. Vaughn was so soft-spoken, so humble. You've heard me mention him before. Uh, it, it was custom 
it was custom in our class that we would offer prayer requests. Dr. Vaughn would write those requests down. And I'm telling you, Dr. Vaughn had a photo memory. If you requested prayer on a Monday, on Friday, or if you ran into him at the snack bar or wherever it was, he would ask you about that person. So it was quite amazing. One day in class, I think it was a Wednesday because we met Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for a three-hour course. There was uh, a thing that happened in class. It, it, it was so interesting that I still remember it. There's a lot of things I don't remember from Bible college, but I remember this. There's a, there's a few things. We had this big guy. I mean, he was tall. You always got the sense that this guy was play-acting. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but Dr. Vaughn said, I believe it's, it's, it's Robert's turn to pray. And Robert stood up and he said, I will go to the Lord on behalf of these requests. And he laid down on the floor in between the desks. And everybody's head was turned to him. And he prayed this long, lengthy prayer. I know Dr. Vaughn was thinking, hey, this is only a 50-minute class. We, we got to get moving. Now, I don't know. I don't know if he was serious. But if I had to guess, he probably wasn't. Because when you see him outside of class, he always looked like he was on a stage. This is exactly what Jesus is saying, don't do. We're not to be praying. I, I, I love my, my, my grandkids. And, and, and when, they, when they come to visit, uh, Leah likes to pray. Now, on a, on a kid's level, um, we'll ask Leah if she would like to pray. And, of course, she bows her head and she starts thanking God for, for Daisy. That's our dog. And starts thanking God for this. But then I'll look at her. And one time I looked at her, she had her eye open looking at everybody. To see if we were to see if we were praying, cute. It, it, it's cute on a child's level, but that's kind of what a play acting is. It's drawing attention to yourself rather than putting attention on God. It's it's having a long, lengthy, luxurious prayer with fancy and flowery words. Whatever happened to "Woe is me, I'm a sinner, God." I need you to take away my sin and I need, I need to be forgiven. And Lord, while I'm here talking to you, would you please do da-da-da-da-da-da-da? Jesus said you must not be a hypocrite. Don't draw attention to yourself, just like giving. Don't draw attention to yourself. See, we are so self-centered that it can filter into everyday aspect of our Christianity. And then Jesus gives an explanation. Four generally points to an explanation. Look at verse 5. For they love to stand and pray. By the way, you should love to pray. Standing was actually the common practice in the day. Philo, which means to enjoy doing something. Prayer can sometimes be out of urgency and emergency. I get that. But we should love to pray. When you pray, qualifier, don't be like the hypocrites. 
They love to stand and pray. You should love to pray. Prayer should be one of the most exciting things that we do in our lives. But here, it's the opposite. All Jews, all devout Jews prayed three times a day. They prayed in the morning, they prayed at noon, and they prayed in the evening. And standing, standing was the posture of prayer. Of course, you see there was prayer shawls here. These guys are getting ready to put those prayer shawls over their heads where they would be in secret to pray. So they loved to stand and pray. There's nothing wrong with that. And they did this in the synagogues, or in church, you could say, and on the street corners. That was not normal, to stand and pray on the street corners. They probably had the shawl around, and they would stand, and they would pray. See, they're on a, they're on a square. You didn't normally stand on the street corner and pray. That was not the norm. Now, maybe if you were caught out, and uh, you didn't get back home in time or in the synagogue to pray, you might possibly, but that was the exception, not the rule. There's no doubt Jesus has walked along and seen all these guys out there praying so that people would see their prayers. Synagogue, yes, you would, you would definitely pray. But they do this, Jesus says, immediately after this after he says in the synagogue and streets, that they may be seen by others. Fino, to make known their prayers. You see here, the, here's, here's the issue. They, they took something that is supposed to be private and personal, maybe in a small group, praying with others, small group, prayer, personal. And now they are twisting it to make it public, to show how pious they are. When I listen to my granddaughters pray and Levi pray, um, it's, it's from the heart. That's what prayer is. It's simply from the heart. Many of you have grandkids and uh, when they start praying, they're just so simple and, and simplistic. That's what prayer is supposed to be. God, I'm hurting. Can you help me? Not, I am so much better than everybody else, Lord. Please bless these little peasants. That's what it, that's what it is. It's simply to draw attention to yourself. This word fino can also mean hands in the air. Now, this is a Jewish man praying in a synagogue, and I don't know his heart, but this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. Because when you do that, you draw attention to yourself. Now, this man may have the right motives. He may have the right means or whatever he's doing, praying to God. But this is possibly the, the meaning behind this, was he was raising his hands, praying to God. In fact, you were called forward in the synagogue to pray, so it was a position of honor to be able to pray. Now, Jesus says, quite simply, less is more. You don't need a theology degree to talk to God. 
you just need to be a believer. And if you're an unbeliever, you can still talk to God and ask him to come into your heart. Jesus says, if this is the case, this first point here, if this is the case, it becomes a spectacle. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, you have received your reward. Stuart Weber, absolutely correct here. Jesus was certainly not forbidding public prayer. There's tons of scriptures for that. But it may be said, and this is awesome, by the way, but it may be said that the person who prays only in public and never in private is praying with the wrong, for the wrong reasons. You think about that. Somebody that never prays in their house privately, and they only pray in public. That, that sounds a little odd to me. Particularly when we have so many hours in a day where we could be praying. There are times I pray for people sitting in my car at Walmart that nobody knows about. And I'm talking about people that I see walking. I just pray for them individually, randomly, wherever I am, I am I'm doing that. But nobody needs to know about that except me and God. I told you that by way of illustration. But I didn't get out of my car, rush over to them and say, I am praying for you. No, I just do it secretly. And that's the way we, sh we should be. Then Jesus does not stop there. He addresses the Gentiles. Yes, I'm going 5 and 7. Then we're going to go 6 and 8 because that's the way it's divided up. In verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard with their many words. Badalego which means empty phrases or repeated phrases over and over and over again. By the way, one thing that was brought to my attention this week is I need to be careful about my repetition. How I say phrases all the time. Change it up, mix it up. So the Gentiles who were thought of very, <laughs> they were not well liked. Jesus was actually attacking the Greco-Roman world. They had gods for everything. You have Jupiter here on the left, who was the protector of the state. You have Juno in the center, which was the protector of women. You had Minerva on the right, the goddess of craft and wisdom. And then you had Mars, the god of war. You had Mercury, the god of trade and the messenger of the god. So that would be the one that you would want to invoke to at times so that they could pass the prayer along to this dead god. Bacchus, the god of grape and wine production. And what they would do with, they would, these Gentiles would stand and they would repeat phrases over and over and over again in hopes to get one of the gods' attention. Which, it's very hard to get a dead god's attention. Again, I think Stuart Weber's correct. The pagan worshiper believed they needed to pray repetitively to get their attention. Once a worshiper got a God's attention, he continued to pray repetitively to ensure that he was heard correctly and to convince the God that his request was worth granting. No doubt, 
our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ saw two ends of the spectrum here. On the one end, he had his own Jewish people who were acting, and on the other end, he had Gentiles who were praying to gods that didn't exist. But he noticed that their prayers were over and over and oh please, oh please, oh please, oh please, oh please. Wow. Here's, here's the thing. Prayer is a personal dialogue with God. It's not meant to be on a stage. It's not meant to be fake. It's supposed to be genuine. Just say what you want to God. You have conversations with your family and your friends. That's what prayer is. It's conversation with God. We don't need flowery speeches and... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think if you keep it simple... But now Jesus is going to say what it really is. Prayer is not a spectacle. It is an encounter with God. Now notice, verse 6. But when you pray, there again, the expectation is that as we get saved, prayer is part of our daily life. Do, do you pray daily? I just want to ask you that. Let that sit for a minute. Or... Prayer is also listening too. It's 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 not just it's it's not just this. It's also listening. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Prosukamai. Fancy word for talking to God. That's all it is. Prayer is nothing more than talking to God. What about this? room Jesus is talking about. Well, there's two ways to interpret it. One is the prayer shawl where you prayed in your room, this little room right here, in private. But probably what Jesus had in mind since he's dealing with the issue of, of uh, room, he's probably referring to this. Now you can see there's this little corridor here. It was on, usually on the back of the house there was a door there. You'll notice about this little room here is there's no windows. So when you walked in, you had to have a candle lit. Now, that's the storeroom or the secret room that Jesus is most likely referring to here. Here's something that's beautiful about this. In the storeroom, it was filled with wine, dates, corn, oil, water, all kinds of things. This is significant. You think, well, why is that significant? Well, it's significant because as you go into this room with the lit candle, you're able to look around at the provisions of God. And as you're looking at those provisions, you think how wonderful God is. Look at all the oil he gave me. Look at all the dates he gave me. Look at all the wine he gave me. 
Look at all the bread he gave me. Look at all the wheat he gave me. You would be surrounded by a reminder, a visible reminder of the presence of God in your life. The War Room was a wonderful movie of a woman that would go into her prayer closet and she put all these prayer requests up there. It was a constant moment of prayer and she would stay in that closet and pray. You know, I, I think for us, <laughs> I think for us, it would be, we need to find a spot where we do pray. And, and fill it with things that remind you of God's presence. I think that's what Jesus was driving at here. Because he knew when you went in there, your, your place, your storeroom, which is what they called it, your storeroom was stocked full of stuff. So as you're in there getting ready to pray to the Father who has provided everything for you, prayer becomes more meaningful. And this is out of the limelight. This is away from the crowds. Now you're one-on-one -on -one with God, and that's what prayer should be. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Apodidomi, which means the word for reward, means to pay back. So I think one thing that I took away from this is I need to find a place where I can pray where I have the presence of God around me to remind me how wonderful and gracious he is. And that I should shut the door. And that I should pray. Even if the prayers are for you all. Or maybe prayers for me. Or prayers for my family. Or prayers for a situation or circumstance that's going on in my life. In, in my life. There are emergency prayers when you can't go in, you can't hide, and somebody is hurting. I've done it as a pastor. I've done it in a filled room where somebody is struggling medically. I have done that to comfort the family and to show the presence of Christ in, in the room. I've prayed at funerals. I've prayed to those kinds of things. That's okay. That's... but. We need to be careful with prayer, I think. We need to be careful with it. That we don't make it about us. And I will say this. Prayer is not really for God. It is for us. But not us as in this. Richard Foster um, has a great book, by the way, Celebration of the Disciplines. He wrote this, Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Prayer is change. And prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. Lord, you know my life. Is there anything in my life that needs to change?
you know, we're, we, we are good at this. We say, Jesus is not a religion. Jesus is a relationship. But then we act as if we're in a religion rather than a relationship. Prayer is about a two-way dialogue. It is you speaking to God and God speaking back. That is a relationship. I guess we could all be guilty of the fact that we don't pray as much as we should, right? All of us are probably guilty of that. Me too. It should be a constant uh, issue in our lives. I heard one pastor say, uh, he said, pray so much that when you get to heaven, you go, as I was saying. <laughs> so Richard Foster is right. By the way, that's an excellent book. I would recommend it. Path to Spiritual Growth. Prayer is Change. And then lastly, he looks at our needs. Now notice he says, do not be like them. Like who? Like the Jews who like to stand on the street corners and pray and draw attention to themselves. Or the Gentiles who use repetitive prayers over and over and over again to get results from a dead God. Don't be like that. There are some, some exceptions. There are some exceptions. My Uncle Bob is a Christian. As a matter of fact, he was at First Baptist Church in Daytona. And uh, a high-profile preacher was there, and I ran into him at the uh, Southern Baptist Convention several years ago. And he said, your uncle is, un is Bob Porter? And I said, yes. He said, your Uncle Bob was a instrumental in getting this Sunday school program up. I'm going to tell you something. When my Uncle Bob prays, I listen. There's something about his prayer life that is not mine and that I want. Because his prayer is, can't, can't describe it to you, but I do not believe it's a show but his prayer is deep. Do not be like them, for your father, here's, here's, here's the kicker, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So it's like we make our little list. God knows that list. Otherwise, he ceases to be God. I gave a little illustration here. Uh, God speaking to me. Okay, here comes Michael. I already know what he's going to ask. And I'm going to respond. The word knows is oida, which means to have knowledge of your situation or to be acquainted with what's going on in your life. You say, well, how can God know every situation? How can he know Deacon Jim's situation? Sister Jan's situation? How can he know all of these people's situations? 
that's because he's God. So you think, well, my problem is so small and minute, minor, that God couldn't possibly care about it. That's what makes God worthy of our worship. Because he does care, he does know, and he does want us to go to him. He says, Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, when you pray, God wants to hear from us. He wants to know what's going on in your life. He wants to know when you're hurting. He wants to know when you're down and out. He wants to know when you're joyful. He wants to know everything in your life, and he already does, by the way, when you bring it to him. But we need to express that to him. The word knee or need is klea, which means that which is lacking. So you could say it this way. Your father knows your situation and knows what is lacking in your life. Usually prayer deals with something lacking. You ever notice that, how that kind of works out? You pray for somebody that is sick. Why are you praying that they're sick? Because they're sick is they're lacking health. But you know what? That's okay. There is nothing that is off limits with God when it comes to prayer. But we have to be careful that it doesn't become a give me list. You, 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 you can do that, but part of prayer should be, Lord, if there's anything in my life that shouldn't be there, please help me remove it. That's a relationship. God knows it. By the way, men, sometimes your prayers are blocked because you don't man up. New Testament says that. Sometimes your prayers are hindered because you are not taking charge of the family. There's all kinds of ways that prayers can be hindered. But I think John Stott is right here. God is neither ignorant so that we need to instruct him nor hesitant so that we need to persuade him. He is our father, a father who loves his children and knows all about their needs. And sometimes what we think is a need is really designed by God. The closer that you get with God in prayer, the closer you listen to him. One of the hardest things to do in prayer, and I'd like you to try it this week, is to pray to God and then just sit and listen for five minutes to what God has to say to us. So yeah, prayer is not to be a spectacle. It is an encounter with God that is personal. Prayer is a personal dialogue with God. So what? was once told that uh, if the sermon doesn't answer, so what? It's half a sermon. I usually do the so what during the sermon and then add a big so what at the end. So <laughs> Number one, commit to daily prayer. Will you do that? God wants to hear from you daily. It can be a four-second prayer. God, I pray that you bless so-and-so. 
God, I pray that you would heal so-and-so. God, I pray that you would make me follow you better. Anything, just simple, small. It's not that God's busy, can't listen to a long prayer. Sometimes that is required. You know, when I think about prayer too, I always think of Tawana. Do you all remember her? Man, that girl could pray. And I don't think that was a show either. Because her life showed her prayer. Will you commit this week to daily prayer? Even if it's driving in your car, maybe taking time out and just sitting down. And by the way, you can come in here to the church and just come in and, and sit and pray. A second thing I, I think would be good to do would be select a private place. So you can have one-on-one -on -one time with God. Maybe that is in a closet. Maybe that is in a break room. Maybe take your break separately from everybody else. <laughs> Maybe that's in any room in the house. Select a private place. I think, thirdly, just share your heart with God. It's okay to say, God, I'm hurting. God, I feel frustrated. Lord, I feel angry. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Because, see, that's what God already knows. You're not going to pull a fast one over on God. Trust me. He's pretty good at knowing what's inside our hearts. I think this is vital too. I think listening, listening to God's voice is another example of the prayer dialogue. I'm guilty of it too. So many times we get in the I want, I need, can you, that I forget to listen. Somebody said, well, I've been, my, my grandmother, Frazier, prayed for me ever since I was um, a little boy. She prayed for me that I would get saved. She gave me a Bible. That Bible's up there in my shelf with my grandmother's handwriting in it. Um, my grandmother, Frazier, knew that I got saved but she never knew that I wound up going into the ministry. I think she probably knows. I got a good idea, at least she does. Prayer is listening to God. And it is about long prayers. Or somebody. In my case, my grandmother Frazier prayed for me. But it is ultimately listening to God. So let's do that this week. Commit to daily prayer, select a private place, share your heart with God, 
and then listen to what he's telling us. You want to do that this week?